Okay. Appreciate you, brother. This morning we are continuing our series, of course, by faith. I watched that video the other day, so I've cried already watching that video. If uh, you had a had a hard time, uh, uh, the audio up here was a little muffled. I don't know about out there. So if you had a hard time understanding what they were saying, go back and watch it. You can cry later, and um, it'll be good. We are this morning. Um, looking at parenting by faith, we're continuing our series, parenting, uh, continuing our series by faith, and uh, we're going to look at parenting this morning by faith, and so you're going to want to be in, of course, Hebrews 11 is where we are, we are taking our series from, we're going to be looking at Genesis this morning at the story of Moses' parents, um, and so uh, we'll be in, in Genesis, uh, or excuse me, in Exodus chapter 1 to start with this morning. Exodus chapter 1. Um, while you're turning to Exodus chapter 1, I want to just remind you of, uh, of some things this morning. I want you to, to remember small groups are coming up. If you would like to uh, host a small group, please let me know, all right? If you'd like to host a small group, please let me know. We'll be having a quick uh, meeting next Sunday after church um, for folks who are interested in hosting a small group. So, We'll have a quick meeting next Sunday after church for folks interested in hosting a small group. And, um, but let me know. Let me know as soon as you have decided that you would like to host a small group. Uh, I want to talk to you for just a second about small groups. We have uh, discipleship small groups. We have service small groups. And we have what we call social small groups. What does that mean? It means discipleship pro, uh, small groups are, are really focused on Bible study and, and growing in your faith, okay? Service small groups, and, and if you'd like to host any of these, you let me know. Service small groups, and you get to decide. You, you come to me and we talk about, you, you present the curriculum. If it's a discipleship focus, you will approve the, the book study or the, or, or the study that you want to do. We'll approve that first, and then you're good to go. Um, service. Uh, small group. If you would like to host a service small group, and that means coming up with, uh, with service projects or, or, or gathering to, to do uh, service within the community, let me know. We, we want to do that. And also we got social group, small groups. What does that mean? These means you're going to get together every week and hang out, right? You're just going to get together every week. Maybe, we, maybe you're going to go to a different uh, Mexican restaurant every week. I'm, I'm down, right? You're going to go to a different burger place every week. I'm down. You know, I, any, anywhere you want to eat, let me know. And uh, so social small groups, maybe you're going bowling, or maybe you want to do a different fun activity every week with a group of folks and get together. Let me know, social small groups. So our small groups are starting in, in, in September, all right? So if you're interested, let me know. Also, I want to talk to you for real quick about clubs on Wednesday nights. Starting in September, Boys and Girls Club will be beginning. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, parents, I know that, that through the summer, it's just crazy with, with everything that goes on. And, and, and getting here on Wednesday nights can be kind of a difficult, especially because the routines are just out of whack. And, uh, but when school starts back, there's generally more routine within the home. And, um, you know, you're getting, you're, you're, if you're like us, we don't do this anymore. Maybe we should. We probably should. We should probably still read our kids a bedtime story every night after bath time. That'd be pretty awesome, right? 
But when, when our kids were young, you know, kindergarten, preschool, kindergarten, first, second, third grade, every night routine, you know, bath time, then you read them a bedtime story, then you put them in bed. And, uh, and they were in bed by 8.30 and 9 o'clock, you know, if it was, if it was, if it was a church night, of course, they're going to get to bed later because it's church. They might get a little less sleep that night, but they're going to get Jesus and they're going to get to church. Um, but other nights, you know, you, you get them in bed and, uh, you know, age appropriate. So when they're, when they're five years old, they're in bed by like eight o'clock, right? When they're 13 years old, it's 930. When they're 16 years old, it's like, just go to sleep sometime, please. Right? <laughs> but boys and girls clubs are coming up. And uh, so, so uh, it's Royal Rangers for our boys and Bluebells and Joybells for our girls. And um, they're going to love this. And, and, of course, I think we're just starting out with the Bluebells to start with. But, but as we grow, we'll, we'll, we'll add the other uh, group as well. But they're, they're, I'm just going to tell you, your kids are going to love this. There, it, it's clubs. They're going to have. They're going to be earning badges, and they're going to be. They're going to have uh, uh, activities, and they're going to. It's going to be go from week to week to week. They're going to be learning things. They're going to be doing things. They're going to be boys will be doing camping, and they'll be learning how to, to tie knots. It's, think of think of like if, if uh, Boy Scouts for the boys, and and kind of like Girl Scouts for the girls. But the emphasis. While they get all of the fun things that they get within the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts, me and Carter did Cub Scouts when he was a kid. We loved it. Uh, I, I did Cub Scouts when I was a boy till I got the ascot, and I was like, no more. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just not going to go to Cub Scouts if I have to wear an ascot. But Carter and I, uh, he did Cub Scouts, and uh, it was, I, I was his Akela, if you know anything about Cub Scouts. And so it was a lot of fun. And uh, Royal Rangers is going to be like that for you dads and, and, and sons uh, to hang out with one another, do fun things together, fun activities. Girl Scout, uh, Blue Bells, same type of idea. But the emphasis, not only is do they get to all of those other activities, but the emphasis is on creating lifelong followers of Jesus. And so you'll, you'll get all of those fun activities, but they'll be interwoven in those activities and interwoven in those classes is is Christ Jesus and, and Bible study and, and Bible story and character development. So you're going to want to be here. And uh, men, if you would like to help out with Cub Scouts, uh, with Cub Scouts, with the Royal Rangers, dads, if you would like to help out with Royal Rangers, please see Chris Fikes. He's, he's over here this morning. Please see Chris Fikes and uh, let him know that you'd be willing to help out with that. And uh, we're gonna have, we got a good number of boys that, that we believe are going to be involved. And uh, I think they're kicking it off with a, with a uh, event in September. Uh, it's an all-night event, right? And so it's going to be a slumber party for the girls, and I think the boys are going to be camping out in the woods or something like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, so it'll be a lot of fun. I remember camping with Carter when he was about five years old. It's fun, man. It's fun, and uh, it is. Every five years old is a five year old is a five year old. But put them in a put them in a out in the woods. They'll be finding sticks. They'll be hitting things with sticks, and you'll be getting onto them. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So, so uh, boys and girls clubs are starting in September. Of course, we have all the other activities that 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 are normal. Men's breakfast yesterday was just a great time, 
and a good breakfast. Michael is is Michael made biscuits from scratch with buttermilk and flour. He's a magician, and um, they were really good. We just had a great time yesterday. So uh, that's every second Saturday of the month um, is our men's breakfast. You want to be here, and uh, it's a really good time. Really good time. So a lot of stuff happening. Check the calendar. Um, it's in your Faith Life app. Make sure that you have the Faith Life app, that you have it downloaded. Make sure that you are a, a member of the new city church. I know a lot of folks join just random churches when they download the Faith Life app. And, um, you know, just hmm, let's try this church over in Seattle, you know. And um, so make sure you download the Faith Life app. And uh, join the, the New City Church, Mobile, Alabama. It's got our logo there. You can download that. And, um, and uh, stay, stay up to date. You can check the bulletin there every week. You can check the calendar there. You can uh, listen to the sermons there every, every week. And uh, you can give there every week. Speaking of giving, it's so vital. We talked last week about giving, just the way the Lord moved in our service last week, and and uh, it was just it was wonderful the way the Lord moved and and led to our just I knew I was going to have to share about giving last week, and um, the Lord the Lord worked in the in the service to prepare our hearts for that. But I want to encourage you, church. I, I, you need to hear this, okay? It is vital that you give that you pay your tithes and offerings. Why do we say pay our tithes? Why do we say pay our tithes? Well, because we owe it to God. We owe it to God. And then we give our offerings. Offerings are above our tithes. Do you know how much a tithe is? You know what tithing is? You know what a, how much a tithe is? It's 10%. You can't tithe anything other than 10% because tithe means 10. You can give more than 10%, but the tithe means 10. So if you're tithing, it's the 10%. Then you can go above that and give more and give your offerings, give to projects, give to, give to uh, ministries within the church. But your tithe is 10%. And it's vital, church, and I'm going to get to the word in a minute, and it's going to be good, but you need to hear me because I don't talk about money a lot because I don't, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't like to be lumped in with all those preachers that all they do is talk about tithes and, they, and money, and, and then they wear these big old rings and drive these really nice cars and fly in these super nice jets. So I just, I, those folks get on my nerves. Nobody going to say amen to that? I'm the only one. It's all right. Me and Jesus, we got it. But tithing is scriptural. Tithing, the Bible says to bring your tithes into the storehouse so that there could be meat on the table. What does that mean? So that the needs of the body can be met. If you and we and I, if we don't pay our tithes, the needs of the body are not met. You are paying your tithes to God through the local church. You're not tithing, you're tithing to God. 
through the church. So that means that if you get mad at the preacher, you don't stop paying your tithe because your tithe doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. It means if you get mad at your brother or your sister, you don't stop paying your tithe because your tithe doesn't belong to your brother or your sister. Your tithe belongs to God and it goes through the church. You going to shout now? Let's shout. It's so vital, church, that the needs are met. And for the needs to be met, each member each active member, each person who calls this their church has to be faithful in their finances. Amen? So, at the conclusion of the service, you'll be able to give. Whether to get through, through the basket that's at the back or the bucket that's in the back, you can give online. You can give through through the app. You can give on our website. But listen, church, please hear me. This is not condemnation or judgment on you if you do not tithe. This is a pleading with you. For your sake and for the church that you be faithful in your folks who tie say amen and all the folks who aren't are like shut up (laughs) that's the way that goes (sighs) forget about it right god is good all the time so be faithful in your tithing i know the look i don't talk about tithing i don't i don't because i don't i don't like that i don't like that but there comes a point in the church where the pastor just has to say you got to give them tithes and offerings if you're going to have a church you hear that did you hear that heavenly father thank you for this time this morning pray, God, that as we get into your word, your word would get into us, and that you would bear and plant seed in us through your word, that we would be able to bear much fruit, fruit of righteousness, fruit of repentance, and fruit of good works. We'll give you glory and honor and praise. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 says this, by faith, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Another translation puts it this way. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three, three months after he was born because they saw, and I really like this, they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They saw that he was no ordinary child. Heavenly Father, again, I ask that as we get into your word this morning, you would challenge us, equip us, prepare us, and transform us 
through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to back up this morning uh, just to see exactly what was going on to cause Moses' parents to hide him in rebellion to the king. So Exodus chapter 1, I know you guys are there. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, it says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Uh, the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies fight against us and leave the country. This new king, right? These were likely rulers from the Orient, likely rulers, new king and rulers who had come in. Uh, they didn't regard Joseph and all that he had done. They just, they didn't regard Joseph. They had no, they, they, they didn't want to uh, surrender power to Joseph or allow Joseph to continue in power that he was given by the previous Pharaoh. And, and so they, they, they didn't want to deal with, with Joseph, but they, they did not uh, regard Joseph in the same esteem and did not regard the people of Israel with, with respect because of the relationship with Joseph. So verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the, the children of Israel, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were uh, Shifra and Pua, would you help the Hebrew women? This is a incre just an incredible passage of scripture, especially for you, you, you women. Uh, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him, but if it's a girl, let her live. And then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? Notice this. The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. They are vigorous. So what it says is the, 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 the excuse was these, these Hebrew women, they ain't like these Egyptian women. They just, they just, they just raise up the baby. They don't need no help. They just, they're vigorous. They're vigorous. They push and they done. Right? There's no, it's just, it's, a, it's out. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So the law is established then that every boy that is born must be murdered. 
There was a devaluing of life among the Egyptian people towards the children of Israel. When we devalue life, we can expect a breaking of society. When we don't devalue unborn life, we can expect a breaking of society. When we devalue immigrant life, we can expect the breakdown of society. When we devalue criminals' lives, we can expect a breakdown of society. Life is precious. Life is valuable. And our job as believers is to proclaim the Imago Dei, the image of God in every person preborn to death. I am pro-life, happy to be pro-life, but being pro-life is not the same as being pro-birth. I'm pro-birth, but my being pro-life doesn't stop after birth. I believe being pro-life means valuing every life as image bearers of God to be treated with dignity from conception until natural death. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. And here we have a devaluing of life. First, there was a devaluing of the preborn. And when they couldn't stop them being born, it was a devaluing of them after they were born. Throw them into the Nile. Church, we must value life. From preborn to death, life matters. It's appointed unto man to die and after this the judgment but God gets to be the one to determine so we live in a culture today that devalues life this country gave more money to Planned Parenthood over the past few congresses than were ever given to Planned Parenthood before that devalues life. Let's stand up, church. Let's value life. Exodus chapter 2. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. But when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she saw that he was no ordinary child, 
But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. That's just one of the coolest stories in the Bible. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when she grew, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. this story. The mom who was going to lose her daughter or her son because of the daughter of Pharaoh ended up not losing her son but nursing her son and having a little side hustle, right? She made some money nursing her own son. God provides. God is our provision and God keeps Here's what I want us to see. First point is this. Moses' parents kept God first. You take a note, you want to write that down. Moses, Pharaoh kept God first. It says says that they were married. Listen, children need their parents. They need their parents together. They need their parents to be unified. They need their parents that God ordained and God designed. Husband and wife, children, keeping God first. That's God's intent. That's God's design. And Moses' parents kept God first. They They were married. It says eventually the tribe of Levi would come out of its house. The tribe of Levi were the, would eventually be the, or would eventually be the priests of Israel. This was a godly heritage that was that was established in this home. This was a people and a parents and a family of of godly heritage. They would pass down their faith, and it would grow, and it would establish and be rooted in them, and they would become the lead, the very priests in Israel through this line. God, through Moses, in writing this, is letting us know that his parents were God-honoring people. They put God first in their family. They put God first in their marriage. They put God first in their lives. They were rebelling against the Pharaoh to honor Pharaoh's order was kill your kids. They rebelled against the Pharaoh to honor God. Why 
why did they do that? Because, well, they honored God. Why were they willing to risk it? Because they honored God. And also because Moses' parents recognized something special in their child. And every parent in this room is like, hey, I'm just like Moses' parents. Every one of us recognized something special in our children. They saw potential. They saw hope. They saw a promise. Moses' parents had it hard. They were slaves in Egypt. And they were under a a rule of a pharaoh who said, kill your child. They had it hard. They were seen living as, as forced labor. They struggled to make sure that there was food that they could provide for their family, but they did not give up hope. They knew that as descendants of Jacob, as descendants of Abraham, that God had promised them a land, a promised land, that God had promised them a kingdom, that God had promised them a hope. Some, some, for some of us, the promise of a home sounds good. For some of you, maybe you are even offering that home to some who the promise of a home sounds good. Maybe some of you have been abused or you've seen your parents fight and struggle the promise of a home, a place of peace, a place of love, a place of unity. It just sounds good. It sounded good to Moses' parents. And when they saw Moses, when they saw Moses, the spark was lit in their spirits. And there was an expectancy in their minds. All parents, every one of us, if we're, every one of us parents, if we are, if, if we're worth anything, every parent lights up when they see their child for the first time. You change that first poop, and it's like, yes, this is my kid. Maybe not the first one. That first one's weird, right? You light up when you see your kid. There is nothing like that moment of seeing your kid and holding your child for the first time and, and just all the, just the emotion and the, the love. And you, it's just, it's overwhelming. You, you hold that child and you see that child, you're like, this kid is not ordinary. There's something special about this kid. But for, for Moses' parents, it was actually true. He would leave his people, but I want you to hear me. There is something not ordinary about each one of our kids. There is something special and unique about each one of our children. Because we are created and designed and in, with intent from our creator, God. But as parents, you can't wait to see who, you, who that your kid's going to grow up to be, what they're going to be like, and how they're going to develop, and, and when they're going to take their first step, and what their voice is going to sound like. And then when their voice starts to change, it's a lot of fun too. But you see your kid and you hope, even you hold this infant, this, this minute old child, you're holding them and you're saying, okay, God, 
God, I pray that my child makes good decisions. I pray that my child is, 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 is who you want them to be, that they live for you, that they put you first. I pray that my child comes to know you at a young age. And, 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 and Lord, I hope and pray for, for We all do that. We should do that. Even if we're not praying for them, we're, we're hoping and thinking. What's my kid going to be like? This is, this is so exciting. But it was, it, was, it was even more than that for Moses' parents. Scripture says they saw that he was no ordinary child. What does that mean? It means that they recognized from birth that God had chosen him for a reason, for a purpose. That God had ordained Moses for that moment. That God had a purpose that was greater than anything they could have imagined when little Moses was causing mama's sciatic nerve to go out, right? I can imagine them singing to Moses in the womb. I can imagine them talking to Moses in his womb, in, in, in her womb. I can imagine them praying for Moses. in his mother's womb. I know that we did that with our kids. We would sing. Push our hands on each other's belly and pray for our kids. Sit down there and talk into her belly button. Y'all did that. Don't look at me crazy. I can see Moses' parents doing the same thing. They loved him before he was born, but when they saw him, they knew something bigger than their own dreams was about to happen. They did not understand the fullness of God's plan for Moses and how God would use Moses through the whole situation and and to deliver the people out of Israel, but they knew that Moses had something unique. There was something special about this baby. Parents, I believe you tell your kids that same thing. God has something special for you. Some of you parents, you you see these great godly plans for your children. You, you see them experiencing all that God has for them. More than anything this world can offer them, you, you pray that over your children. You see miraculous things in their lives. Some of you have come through great situations to be here, to bring your kids here. Both of my children are miracles. My daughter got healed when she was an infant. She wouldn't eat. I've never had that problem. But when she was an infant, she wouldn't eat. 
He likes my joke. We actually had to get a medicine dropper and wait for her to scream out in anger and pain and squirt the formula into her mouth so that she would eat and develop and grow. God healed her. She began to have, later she began to have seizures and have epilepsy. God healed her. God healed her back. Still waiting on God to heal her attitude. I'm kidding. Come here, girl. <laughs> Carter, when he was born. Month old. Stiff, discolored, not breathing. In the bassinet beside us. He had been sick. We'd gone to the doctor. Been released, came home. Falling asleep. Knock on the door. My mom's knocking on the door. We wake up. And that's our, our, our Carter is laying there next to us, lifeless. We rush to the doctor, rush to the ER, put an IV in his head. And we're, we spend all of Thanksgiving week at T.C. Thompson Children's Hospital. Come to the end of the week and the doctors say, go home. We don't know what happened. We don't know why he's better. All signs pointed to spinal meningitis. But God raised my child from the dead. I can tell you similar stories. I can tell you the story of my own birth. The doctor said I would either be completely brain dead or dead at birth because my mom lost nine units of blood in the placenta previa and I was drowning in my mom's blood. But God reattached the placenta and my mom had me naturally. And I'm a little weird, but I'm alive. Listen, church. God has purpose for your children. And I believe as parents, hear me, I believe our, as parents, we should raise our children up to believe they're not ordinary. What does that mean? I don't believe we should raise them that to be arrogant or prideful or haughty, but we should raise them to believe that God has something bigger for them than this world has to offer. That they are more valuable and more precious than anything this world can sell to them. 
I believe we should tell that to our kids because I believe it's true. God does. He has promised good for them. He has promised salvation and deliverance. He has promised life abundant through Jesus Christ. Don't settle people. Don't settle parent for the king's edict over your children. Teach your children not to settle. Raise your children up not to settle for this world. Raise your children up to fear and honor the Lord. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he won't depart from it. They weren't afraid of the king. A lot of parents... A lot of parents are afraid of the king. They're afraid of this world's system. Got an illustration I want you to say. I want to throw something on the board. We are, we are, our average lifespan, we're promised, average lifespan is 70 to 80 years. That's what we get. But as parents, our job is to teach our kids not to give in to the king's system, to the world's system. So, 80 years. Do we have that, guys? 80 years. That's it. Now, you as a parent, you get your child in it for, before they move out, move to college. You have your child for 18 years. You bring them to church every day, every Sunday, every Wednesday. That's about four hours a week if you bring them every Sunday and every Wednesday. Four hours a week for 52 weeks a year for about 18 years. You know what that equals in years? It equals about 10 months. You live about 80 years. Parents, you have them for about 18 years to shape them, mold them. The church... If you're expecting the church to be the ones who instill all of the spiritual value and spiritual nourishment and spiritual discipleship into your children, I want you to see this on the screen. That timeline is tiny. You cannot expect the church to be your children's main spiritual guide yes church yes parent you should have your kids in church that's part of being their spiritual guide is to raise your children in church you cannot expect your children to go to church if you don't go to church when they're kids you can't expect your children to go to church when they grow up when you didn't take them to church when they were five and six and seven and ten and eleven and twelve they will not value church if you do not value church. 
parents that are afraid of the king care more about their own status and their safety than their calling and commitment to God and their children. Parents that are afraid of the king care more about their status. Parents that are afraid of this world system, what do I mean by that? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools hate wisdom and instruction. You can either fear the Lord or you can fear the world system. You can either live in light of, of the knowledge of God and living to please him or you can live in a way that lives to please the world. You can fear the king or you can fear the Lord. Whichever one you fear, you will surrender to. And so living, fearing the king means you surrender to the world's systems because you believe the world's systems have more value over your life than the, than the word of the Lord. Do we have that, guys? If not, we're going to move on. So people who are afraid of the world's system, they care more about the name on their kids' clothes than the name written on their heart. Oh. So you're taking notes, right? I'm going to say it again. Parents that are afraid of the king more than afraid of the Lord care more about the name on their kids' clothes than the name written on their kids' hearts. They care more that their kids make the sports team than, they, than that they make it to church regularly. They care more about their school work than that their child knows Scripture well. None of these things are bad things. Sports isn't a bad thing. School is a necessary good thing. It's important that your children are dressed. But these things cannot be the priority. Par parents who are afraid of the world system more than they fear the Lord or care more about their child's social standing than they care about their relationship with God. Parents who fear the king parent out of sinful desire. Less of the flesh, less of the eyes, pride of life, a better-than-you attitude. What Moses' parents did was they raised their son to be in the world, but not of the world. I need you to hear this part of my sermon. His mother raised him in Pharaoh's palace. You hear that? His mother raised him in Pharaoh's palace. You are not going to get any closer to the world system than living in Pharaoh's palace. He was surrounded by the culture of the pagans. There was no getting around the fact that Moses lived in an ungodly culture. There was no way to keep him from having relationships with the pagans. He was living in the world. But partly because his mother raised him to fear the Lord, he stood up for his people and stood up for his God and the only God. Now listen, we can't fear the king. We can't fear the culture. We can't hide from the culture either. 
When we hide from the culture, we will not reach the culture for Christ Jesus. We cannot bow down to the culture. We cannot capitulate to the culture. We cannot accept the thinking of this age. There is, but there is no way we are going to get around the culture of sin and ungodliness that we live in. Unless you are going to move to a convent on a mountain in the woods, you are going to be influenced by this world system. It is imperative parent that you train your children to have discernment in the world. As parents, we must train them to be discerning. We must train our children to recognize what is godly and what is demonic. We must train our children to make good, godly decisions about who they date, what they entertain, how they spend their time. We must teach our children to think godly, to be able to understand what pleases the Lord. We must be able to do that because they are living in a culture of the Egyptians. We've got we to nurse them even in the palace of the Pharaoh. You hear me? We have to nurse our children even in the palace of the Pharaoh so that when we are no longer their primary source of nourishment, they are ready to walk with Christ in the culture. Don't be afraid to set limits, parents. Let me say that again. Parents, set limits. Set limits. You are the parent. Set limits. Don't be afraid to set boundaries. You are the parent. Don't be afraid to say, hey, you're not going to watch that. Don't be afraid to say you're not going to listen to that. Don't be afraid to say you're not going to play that or you're not going to wear that or you're not going to read that or you're not going to go to that, that party. You're not going to hang out with those kids. You're not going to learn to sin that way. Don't be afraid of the king. Be willing to save your kids. Also, don't forget that you've got to disciple them. Because here's what I want you to hear. Don't also think that being overprotective will prepare them for the real world. You can shelter your child. Do not chain your child. Overprotecting your children will not prepare them for Egypt. If you don't equip your child to think and reason through what is godly and what is not while they are in your care, if all you do is keep a blindfold on them, don't expect them to be ready when the blindfold comes off. On the other hand, If you don't do any sheltering 
And if you don't do any protection, don't expect them to make godly decisions when they're on their own. If you let them do whatever they want and you don't set any boundaries, they will never learn to set boundaries for themselves. Let me tell you something, children, or parents of children. Children love boundaries. They may tell you they don't. And the older they get, the less boundaries they desire. That's, that's understandable. But young children... They love boundaries. Why? Why do you think they test your boundaries? Because they want to know where the boundary is, because they want to know what they can trust and what they can't. They want to know what they can what they can expect from their parents and what they can't expect from their parents. Boundaries are important. Kids need boundaries. But shelter your children, don't tame your children, and also recognize about age and maturity in your child. Know your children. You are not going to parent your 16-year-old daughter the same way you parented her when she was a 4-year-old daughter. You're not going to parent your 13-year-old son the same way you parented your 6-year-old son. But also, you better not parent your five-year-old the way you would parent a 16-year-old. You're going to give your 16-year-old, your 17-year-old some freedom reluctantly. You give your five-year-old some freedom, they're going to be out in the street. Shelter your children. Don't chain your children. Last point. By faith, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. All right, so we've already said it was the law of the land that every newborn male, male child be thrown into the river. Failure to obey this law likely meant death to the lawbreaker. But I want you to notice what that verse says. It says, but they were not afraid of the king king either. They were not afraid. They totally trusted God to protect Moses, to preserve his life. And by doing so, they they, they cast their own lives in the hands of God. Listen. There's a point that no matter the opposition, no matter the consequences, they were set on obeying God, no matter the consequences. Parents, and this isn't even for parents, this is for everybody. Some of us, God has called us to do something, and the moment we face any opposition, we throw up our hands and say, well, it must not be God's will. careful when you make that assumption because you must understand that our enemy Satan he has a will for your life as well and sometimes it's easier to follow the will of Satan than it is to follow the will of God so 
Sometimes we got to step into our faith and be obedient even despite opposition, even as parents. Just because your kid doesn't want to obey you doesn't mean that they're right. And just because sometimes you don't want to obey God doesn't mean that God's not right. have a responsibility to nurture and raise their children not to be harsh, abusive unconcerning, overbearing Sam's going to come up, Ephesians 6 says this, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. Here's what I want us to do this morning. Would you stand with me this morning? That you would parent in a godly manner. And that your family, your home, will be a place of refuge and nurture. Because eventually they're going to leave the palace and they're going to walk out into Egypt. every decision for your child but you can teach them and train them how to make good decisions how to make godly decisions and it starts with how you live texting while I'm driving, which I have done once. I've done it once. I didn't say only once. I've done it once. And then you tell your kid, hey, don't be texting while driving. Guess what they say? You 
text while you drive. Not only do we have to instruct, we have to live. We have to model. We all know it, right? We've heard it. Do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't work that way, does it? We've got to be doers if we want our children to respect what we say. I want to pray for our parents this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray for our parents. Maybe even moms and dads, or put your hand on your, your spouse, or put your hand on their shoulder if you can, or daughters and parents, put your hand on your child or your parent. Let's just pray right now. Lord, I just lift up these needs to you. I just lift up these needs to you. And I ask, Lord, that you would touch these parents, touch these families, that they would be godly, first of all. They would be godly parents. That they would be godly parents who raise their children, even in the, in, even in the enemy's palace, even in surrounded by culture, that they're nurturing them, even when surrounded by, by, by Pharaoh's Nothing else. 
moms and dads. 